Tonight, Donald Trump talks tough to NATO allies who refuse to pay their fair share, while Justin Trudeau takes selfies and cuts our military spending again. It's July 11th, and you're watching The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign, and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government for why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Donald Trump says that NATO allies are not pulling their fair share. Is he right? Well, yes, he is. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization, all the countries agree to spend 2% of their GDP on the militaries. The U.S. spends almost 4% of their GDP. In other words, the average American works about one day a month to pay for the U.S. military. In Canada, by contrast, we spend about 1.3% of our GDP on the military. U.S., U.K., France, Germany, Italy, in terms of raw amounts, we're number sixth. In terms of a percentage of our GDP, we're not even in the top 10, though. That's about to fall even lower. We'll be number 16 next year, but hey, we'll still beat Luxembourg. A NATO report said Canada is expected to spend an estimated 1.23% of our GDP on defense in 2018, down from 1.36% last year, says the annual report, which looks at military investments for all member states. That's from Global News. Look, even the Toronto Star admits it. Here's their headline. I hate to say it, but Trump is right about Canada's military spending. When the star says it, you know, it's true if they admit it. Uh, check out this tweet from Justin Trudeau, though. Today I'm proud to announce that continuing in Canada's long tradition of contributions and leadership at NATO, we will be stepping up uh, and taking command for the first year of NATO's new mission in Iraq. A mission focused on uh, capacity building and training centered in Baghdad, focused on the fact that now that we have degraded and even defeated Daesh on the ground, uh, we have to win the peace. We have to build capacity, we have to help governance, we have to create uh, a strong institutions around Iraqi security uh, that is going to be able to support this fledging democracy in the years to come. Once again, Canada is stepping up and proud to do so. Trudeau says we help build a more peaceful world. So after the US and UK military defeated ISIS, Trudeau says that Canada will be there to build capacity. I don't really know what building capacity means either, other than Trudeau's endless capacity for BS. It is a head bob thing again, which he does whenever he's BSing you. He does that a lot when he's talking about groping girls. Remember, Trudeau was the guy who right after he was elected and Barack Obama first called him after his election in 2015, Trudeau blurted out in the phone call that he was withdrawing our six CF-18 fighter jets from Iraq. Obama pleaded with him not to do so, but Trudeau did anyways. And now Trudeau's promising to do some capacity building, and he's so proud of that, isn't he? I usually, uh, here, let me show you one more tweet from Harjit Sajan. He says, I usually finish off the day with a run. Nice to keep that up in Latvia with some of our women and men in uniform. And if you scroll down, it's him jogging in the forested field. Um, that's obviously a photo op. Just stop and think about that for a second. When you go jogging, if you go jogging, I mean, you could tell people about it, but Harjit Sajan and Trudeau and Freeland, they had a photographer stand in place and then ready, set, go. They ran to him in a posed photo op. It was posed, and to state the obvious, they flew that staff photographer in from Canada to Latvia. 
They spent thousands of dollars on that little photo op there. I guess we should be grateful that Trudeau even had his shirt on, unlike this photo stunt last week, because who amongst us, when accused of sexual assault, doesn't pose for a topless jogging picture? Anyways, Harjit Sajan and Justin Trudeau and Christy Freeland are really good at photo ops and selfies because they have to be, because they have to distract from the fact that Canada is not living up to our promises to move towards 2% of our GDP for NATO. We're going in the opposite direction. Okay, enough of the photo ops. Let's look at some substance here. Here's Donald Trump doing what he does best, save, saying the obvious truth so bluntly, so plainly, that you can't dispute it. You can haggle, you can quibble, you can say you're outraged by how rude he is, but please watch the next 60 seconds and tell me a single factual error here. Mr. President, which country do you want to spend more data on in particular? Just look at the chart. Take a look at the chart. It's public, and many countries are not paying what they should. And frankly, many countries uh, owe us a tremendous amount of money for many years back where they're delinquent, as far as I'm concerned, because the United States has had to pay for them. So if you go back 10 or 20 years, you'll just add it all up. It's massive amounts of money is owed. Uh, the United States has paid and stepped up like nobody. This has gone on for decades, by the way. This has gone on for many presidents, but no other president brought it up like I bring it up. Uh, so something has to be done, and the Secretary General has been working on it very hard. This year, since our last meeting, commitments have been made for over $40 billion more money spent by other countries. So that's a step, but it's a very small step. It sounds like a lot of money, and it is. But it's a very small amount of money relative what, to what they owe and to what they should be paying. Yeah, it's true. And although Germany is where so many U.S. military bases are, and the whole point of well, the whole point of NATO, according to its first secretary general, Lord Ismay, was to keep the Soviet Union out, the Americans in, and the Germans down. That's right. And Donald Trump is in, and American taxpayers are in. But where's everyone else? We Canadians free ride off the U.S. military. We all know it. We boast about our free health care, or actually we don't really boast about it a lot anymore because by now we all know about the massive waiting lines and sullen government workers and old obsolete technology, but we wouldn't have free healthcare at all without the Americans paying for our security for the past 50 years. And all of our moral primping and preening is because America foots our bill. I'm sorry, it's true, you can like that, you can dislike it, but you cannot deny it. And we're lucky that Trump doesn't focus on Canada unless we keep provoking him, which Trudeau bizarrely seems to want to do. But here's Trump talking with the NATO Secretary General, a Norwegian chap named Jens Stoltenberg, and what's his job? Well, it's to make NATO strong. So he didn't take Trump's message as a scolding. I think he loved it. I think he was grateful for it. Here, take a look. And it's an unfair burden on the United States. So we're here to talk about that, and I'm sure it will be resolved. I have a great confidence in the Secretary General. He's worked very, very hard on this, and he knows it's a fact. But uh, I have great confidence in him and his representatives. Would you like to say something? First of all, it's great to see you again, Mr. President, and uh, good to have you here for the uh, summit. And uh, we are going to discuss many important issues at the summit. Among them is defense spending. And we all agree that we have to do more. I agree with you that we have to uh, make sure that allies are investing more. The good news is that uh, allies have started to invest more in uh, defense. Uh, after years of cutting defense budgets, they have started to uh, add billions to their defense budgets. And uh, 
last year was the biggest increase uh, in defense spending across Europe and Canada in a generation. Why was that last year? It's also because of your leadership, because your clear message. And, okay. uh, and, uh, they won't write that. But no, I have said it before, and, and the, but the thing is that uh, uh, it really has, uh, uh, it's, it, your message is having an impact. Of course it's true. Do you doubt that Stoltenberg was grateful that the U.S. president was speaking out loud instead of whispering, as Obama and Bush and Clinton did before him? And that point by Trump that the media wouldn't report that NATO was happy to hear it and Trump was having a positive effect. Trump was 100% right, wasn't he? So Trump was getting encouraged, and so he just let it rip. Here, listen to this gloriousness. I'm going to let the tape run for three full minutes because it's awesome. And again, like it or dislike it, can you quarrel with it? Take a listen. Now, I could cut this off after one minute or after two minutes because he makes his point that quickly. Then he makes it again and then he makes it again and again. And you can even see his chief of staff squirm a little bit in his seat. You can see his secretary of state squirm a little bit in his seat because Trump is just smashing the point again and again because, frankly, it's so undiplomatic to speak that way, which is exactly why Trump did it. And if... John Kelly and Mike Pompeo are uncomfortable. Well, imagine how Angela Merkel feels about this. Well, I have to say, I think uh, it's very sad when Germany makes a massive oil and gas deal with Russia, where you're supposed to be guarding against Russia, and Germany goes out and pays billions and billions of dollars a year to Russia. So we're protecting Germany, we're protecting France, we're protecting all of these countries. And then numerous of the countries go out and make a pipeline deal with Russia where they're paying billions of dollars into the coffers of Russia. So we're supposed to protect you against Russia, but they're paying billions of dollars to Russia. And I think that's very inappropriate. And the former chancellor of Germany is the head of the pipeline company that's supplying the gas. Uh, ultimately, Germany will have almost 70% of their country controlled by Russia with natural gas. So you tell me, is that appropriate? I mean, we've, I've been complaining about this from the time I got in. It should have never been allowed to have happened. But Germany is totally controlled by Russia because they will be getting from 60 to 70 percent of their energy from Russia and a new pipeline. And you tell me if that's appropriate, because I think it's not. And I think it's a very bad thing for NATO, and I don't think it should have happened. And I think we have to talk to Germany about it. On top of that, Germany is just paying a little bit over 1%, whereas the United States, in actual numbers, is paying 4.2% of a much larger GDP. So I think that's inappropriate also. You know, we're protecting Germany, we're protecting France, we're protecting everybody, and yet we're paying a lot of money to protect. Now, this has been going on for decades. This has been brought up by other presidents, but other presidents never did anything about it because I don't think they understood it or they just didn't want to get involved. But I have to bring it up because I think it's very unfair to our country. It's very unfair to our taxpayer. And I think that these countries have to step it up, not over a 10-year period. They have to step it up immediately. Germany is a rich country. They talk about they're going to increase it a tiny bit by 2030. Well, they could increase it immediately tomorrow and have no problem. I don't think it's fair to the United States. So we're going to have to do something because we're not going to put up with it. We can't put up with it. And it's inappropriate. So we have to talk about the billions and billions of dollars that's being paid to the country that we're supposed to be protecting you against. 
You know, everybody's everybody's talking about it all over the world. They'll say, well, wait a minute, we're supposed to be protecting you from Russia, but why are you paying billions of dollars to Russia for energy? Why are countries in NATO, namely Germany, having a large percentage of the energy needs paid, you know, to Russia and, and taken care of by Russia? Now, if you look at it, Germany is a captive of Russia because they supply. They got rid of their coal plants, they got rid of their nuclear. They're getting so much of the oil and gas from Russia. I think it's something that NATO has to look at. I think it's very inappropriate. You and I agree that it's inappropriate. I don't know what you can do about it now, but it certainly doesn't seem to make sense that uh, they pay billions of dollars to Russia, and now we have to defend them against Russia. Let's cut that off just out of mercy. Stoltenberg was pretty friendly, by the way. Trump went for one more round. I won't make you watch it. But let me show you who Trump was talking about, the former German Chancellor Gerhard Schrader, he works for Putin now. That's him in what, 10 different poses with Putin? He and Putin are pretty close. They've met, what, 100 times? They go to social events together, birthday parties, that sort of thing. I think it's pretty unseemly for the former German Chancellor to go to work for Germany's longtime enemy, Russia, don't you think? It would be like if a former U.S. president went right to work for Russia or to, let's say, Iran, to sell out his own country. That's the thing. That's Schrader. And he's still con considered polite company in Germany. And the whole world was supposed to pretend it wasn't happening, that Germany wasn't becoming beholden to Russia for its energy, that Germany was paying its money to Russia for energy, and that same Germany was banning fracking for its own energy instead, that Germany was shortchanging NATO, we were all supposed to ignore that. You weren't supposed to mention that. Well, Donald Trump mentioned it big time, and not just in passing, and not just once, and not just in private. That's amazing. And again, if you think it is unfair, then take it up with NATO. Then maybe NATO shouldn't be around, because that wasn't a U.S. demand. It was a NATO promise. The U.S. is more than meeting, but no one else is meeting it other than the Brits. Canada isn't. We're shirking. We're actually backsliding. Donald Trump's probably going to whack us Canadians with an auto tariff, and Trudeau... Shrinking our military spending will only make Trump more aggressive. Trump sent letters to NATO complaining about particular shirkers. I tried to find the letter. I, the best I could find was a, the Wall Street Journal's report of it. Let me quote. Mr. Trump singled out Canada in his letters to NATO leaders, expressing, quote, growing frustration. The key allies like Canada have not stepped up defense spending as promised. Yeah, no doubt. It's a Trudeau. And I think Trudeau wants that fight. Or at least Trudeau's boss, Gerald Butts, does. Butts constantly tweets passive-aggressive anti-Trump tweets. It's constant. You can only imagine what he says to Trudeau in private. Let me just give you one tiny example. Here, he tweets a far-left, socialist, radical, open-borders Democrat candidate in New York. And he's cheering for her. Her name is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And um, she's really like Bernie Sanders, if Bernie Sanders were a 20-something Hispanic woman. She's that far-left. She's that much of a Trump-hater. So, of course, Gerald Butts supports her because he's a Marxist, too. But his open support for Trump's enemies, his open support for U.S. Democratic partisans, it's shocking and terrifying coming from a man who is at the center of our government and who is supposed to be negotiating NAFTA and NATO and other things with America. Of course, we are going to have a trade war. And as far as a war war goes, Trudeau will continue to disarm and only use our troops for PR purposes like Mali. Butts thinks he can turn that into a winning campaign in 2019, running against Trump, blaming Trump for the recession that will come if we have a trade war, claiming 
that all of Trudeau's opponents are just Trump lovers. Angela Merkel didn't insult Trump today in Germany, even after that tirade. Neither did France's Emmanuel Macron, because they don't want trade wars. They don't want the whole place to burn down. They don't want America to withdraw from Europe. Our guy Trudeau does, but hey, have you seen him jogging without a shirt, lady? He's so, lady, he's, he's so hot. <laughs> Stay with us for more on this subject with Lee Humphreys. Welcome back. Well, Donald Trump, once again, being very undiplomatic in a diplomatic setting, sort of like a child saying the emperor has no clothes, undiplomatic, but finally cuts to the truth. Well, joining us now via Skype is our, I, I don't want to quite lay claim to him as an official rebel contributor, but I feel like he is because he brings so much smarts every time he's on our show. Lee Humphrey, president of James International Security Consulting, and uh, now the Conservative Party of Canada nomination candidate for Calgary Centre. I'm very excited to hear that. Lee Humphrey, great to see you again. I want to sort of lay claim to you, but I, I know you, uh, are, uh, you give your expertise to any journalist who asks, and we're delighted to ask you, would you give me your thoughts on Donald Trump talking about different countries' NATO commitments? Well, I, I think you summed it up well, uh, Ezra, in the sense that you know, Donald Trump uses language that uh, isn't very diplomatic, but he's echoing the language of Presidents Bush and Obama in demanding that NATO countries, all NATO countries, live up to the agreements that they signed on to as part of their commitment to NATO. And it, it, it's a really simply simple metric which is 2% of your gross domestic product directly spent on military. Uh, now, NATO, you know, generously in 2014, when this commitment was made, changed the formula significantly to allow things like veterans' pensions to be included in that spending cap so that all countries could look just a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, but, you know... Trump is 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 making a, a really important point here. If we are a collective allied nation group of defense uh, for defense, then we must all pony up and share that responsibility fiscally as well as in things like manpower and resources. Yeah, you know, that that's the point. I mean, if NATO is just uh, a code word for America is the world's policeman and guardian and everyone else just sort of latches on, then say so. But NATO, uh, the countries are equal. They all, all for one and one for all. It's sort of like the three musketeers, but it's what, 29 musketeers or something. If, if a country is attacked, all come to its aid. We're all equal within NATO. So we should act like it and go to that 2% rule. Or just don't call it NATO. Call it America protecting everyone out of the goodness of their heart. But Trump, Trump's sort of fed up with that altruism, I think, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, each NATO country, unlike the UN, each NATO country has an actual vote that matters. So if NATO is going to do something collectively, whether it is a combat operation or a combat support operation, all NATO members must vote and it must be in agreement. It's not a majority vote. 
It must be 100% uh, agreement, all 29 nations. So you can't have a nation like Canada uh, with a tiny contribution having an equal vote for against, you know, something perhaps America or the United Kingdom uh, wants to do uh, or wants to be involved with. So unless we're going to go to, uh, say, a UN type uh, circumstance at the Security Council where those countries that are contributing 2% or more of their GDP get a veto power or, or have some extraordinary uh, power, um, we want to stay as an equal alliance, then we all have to contribute equally. Well, and that's the thing is, this isn't Donald Trump coming up to here to impose his new idea on us. He's saying, I want to hold you to your promise and I'm just going to be a little bit more blunt than Obama or, or George W. Bush was. It's Trump is the irritant. He's the prickly guy who says it. But he is not saying, I want you to change your promise. He's saying, I want you to keep your promise. And, and I think we could use a bit of a kick in the pants because we, you know, and again, we've been free riders by our own definition. Now, Trump has said he wants Canada really boosted. He's suggesting doubling our military budget. I don't think that's a starter for a number of reasons, but a, a NATO report suggests Canada's numbers actually backsliding. Can I show you a clip from Justin Trudeau in uh, at the NATO meeting when he was asked by reporters about the doubling of our budget? Here's what he had to say. It's an important metric amongst many others to gauge how uh, countries are doing in terms of contributors to NATO, but ultimately uh, the more important metrics are always, uh, you know, do our countries stepping up consistently with uh, the capacities that NATO needs? Are we uh, leading in different opportunities? Are we contributing uh, the kinds of resources and demonstrating the commitment to the alliance that uh, always needs to be there? And that's that's a metric by which Canada can be extraordinarily proud. Uh, but no, there are no plans to double our defense budget. Now, Lee, uh, to double the defense budget would be fiscally probably impossible to do unless you did it over a course of five or ten years. It's just such a large amount. But even over five or ten years, I, I don't think Trump is demanding double. I, I don't think he's that unrealistic. I don't think anyone is. But if you listen to Trudeau, and I'd love your comment on this, he says there are more important measurements. He used the word not equally or other, more important, stepping up and demonstrating a commitment. Those are not quantifiable. Hey guys, we're stepping up. That's a more important commitment. We're demonstrating commitment. Those are fuzzy words, capacities. I don't even know what it means. I know what, what the uh, takeaway is. He'll give words instead of dollars. And it's not just to Trump. What about our own troops who, who need the equipment and need the, need the support? All right, enough of a rant from me. What do you make of what he said, Lee? Well, he, he, he utilizes symbolism over... Uh, fulfilling our responsibility. In, 19, in the fall of 1992, we had three infantry-based battle groups deployed, one in Croatia, one in Bosnia, and one in Somalia. We had a battalion group in Cyprus. We had two infantry battalions and all its supporting elements, uh, which, which made up a, a supersized brigade, in Germany. Those were well more, those were stepping up. That's when we were stepping up. 
What he's doing now is sending under-resourced, under-equipped troops in symbolic ways on a couple of missions, whether it's to Latvia to lead a battle group, not be a battle group, but lead a battle group, whether it's moving the contingent from the Erbil area in Kurdistan down to Baghdad after they sat on their hands, some of our best soldiers sat on their hands for a year, or whether it's putting a under-resourced uh, UN support team into, into Mali. The, this is not the Canadian military stepping up in meaningful ways to support NATO. This is rhetoric. So we're not funding it properly and we're not stepping up on the world stage to support NATO. So, you know, you can understand why some of the other NATO members uh, may be too polite to, to say Canada isn't stepping up. And uh, Donald Trump's not one of them. He is uh, less polite when it comes to these things. But you know, you're right. We need a kick in the pants. The, the Canadian public needs to understand that no longer are we punching above our weight, nor are we contributing financially uh, as we are, as we've signed on to do. Yeah. And I don't want Canada to do it for Donald Trump. I want Canada to do it for ourselves, for our publicly expressed goals, and frankly, to support our troops. I just can't get over the bizarre request a few weeks ago for Canadian forces to return their sleeping bags because there's a shortage in the army that just, you know, I, and I was looking at a story that Germany in some uh, war games, they were painting broomsticks black and attaching them to vehicles, pretending they were machine guns. They're, uh, they're rusted out in their military too. Don't do it for Trump. Do it for our own self-respect, do it for our own capabilities, do it to show respect to our own troops. Don't pay our troops and equip our troops to please Trump. Do it because that's what we ought to do and we said we would do. He's just shaming us, frankly, because we're not doing what we said we would do and and the media hasn't held NATO to account. Trump is doing it. It's, it's, I, I don't know what objection one could make to Trump because he's asking us to live up to our own promises, not to his promises. Last word to you, Lee. I, I mean, I, I guess my point is I'm not doing this out of my affection for Trump. I'm doing this for my affection for what our Canadian armed forces should be. Yeah, I, I think, you know, as a last word, you know, let, let's stop making this a partisan issue. For over 50 years, governments of both sides have, have used the opportunity, uh, you know, whether we were cutting spending or uh, we were in a period of growth to either increase or decrease our commitment to the military. But for over 50 years, we haven't met that, that 2% of GDP. In the past, what some governments have done is they've deployed a whole lot of Canadians to punch above our weight to make up for that. And, and NATO was extremely happy to have that level of professionalism that Canada can bring to the battlefield, even if it is in smaller numbers. What we're seeing now is the worst of both worlds. And, and I'm hoping where this leads is that the Conservative Party this summer, as part of its policy plank, will put forward a plan, and I believe they will, to outline a way we can get to that 2% over the next five to seven years, uh, as well as, you know, taking into account inflation, and that we will stop using things like procurement or military deployments 
uh, as as uh, you know political opportunism to make a, a government look good and then cut them the minute that they're no longer needed. So it, we have an opportunity here, at, at least as the Conservative Party, because the Liberals just failed to take that opportunity to stop playing games with our military and to start living up to our international obligations of being the country that, you know, the, the Canada that we're all so proud of uh, on the international stage. Hmm. Well, I certainly hope that uh, that we come back to that path. And you're right; it ought not to be a partisan thing. I, um, well, I, I and I hope that the Conservative Party really embraces uh, this. It's the right thing to do, just for our own national interest and our national pride. Lee, it's always great to have your point of view, and as always, you bring a lot of historical knowledge too about what Canada was like. And 1992 was not that long ago. And we were we were in different theaters, and we were that was the golden age of Canada in these multilateral multilateral uh, actions. What Trudeau talks about, but what he doesn't do. Anyways, I tell you, I could go on this topic all day. It's great to have you on the show, Lee. Thanks very much, Ezra. I appreciate it. All right. Well, it's our pleasure. There you have it. Lee Humphreys, the president of James International Security Consulting, and I'm very excited to learn that he's throwing his hat into the ring for a nomination. For the Conservative Party, boy, I hope he gets that. They could use his experience and wisdom in that party. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Welcome back. Well, I pine for the days when Canada's media party would go to the mat, would go to the wall over a $16 orange juice that uh, a federal cabinet minister named Bev Oda expensed. I think she did it from a hotel mini bar. Those are notoriously overpriced. $16. There must be a thousand stories on that $16 orange juice, and she was eventually drummed out of cabinet. Well, those were the days, eh? Because the Canadian Taxpayers Federation has news on some of the spending under the Trudeau regime. How I long for those $16 orange juices. If you have a $16 orange juice, what kind of cup would you drink it out of? Well, here's the good news. Justin Trudeau's liberals are buying glasses Little champagne flutes and cocktail glasses. The actual glasses themselves cost, on average, are you ready for this? $117. And joining us now via Skype is our friend Aaron Woodrick, the uh, federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. I just scratched the surface there, Aaron, but $127,000 spent on crystal glassware, an average of $117 a glass. That's insane. Uh, those are pretty pricey glasses. So they bought a thousand of them as are over the last uh, couple of years. Um, they're customized as well. And you know, the funny thing is we didn't really know how much those glasses would cost. We thought, what's a, what's a really high end comparison? So we went to the Tiffany website, Tiffany and co, uh, their Canadian website. You can buy a wine glass from Tiffany Ezra for 55 bucks. So these glasses that global affairs has bought are actually twice as expensive as Tiffany crystal. Yeah, and that's if you're a retail customer buying from Tiffany's. I can imagine if you said to Tiffany, I want to buy a thousand glasses, they'd probably give you a bit of a bulk discount. Um, the chutzpah, the chutzpah of this, uh, 
Canada's running a massive deficit. I remember Justin Trudeau telling a wounded veteran in Edmonton uh, that veterans are just asking for more than we can give. But when it comes to the lips of our diplomats, nothing is good enough for them. Uh, unbelievable. And I, I just, I tell you, why don't we? Let me, I mean, great story, and I saw some coverage of it today in the media. Congratulations to you. But it's nowhere near the mania that was around Bev Oda's $16 orange juice. I mean, this is 117 bucks a glass, and the media party just doesn't seem to be revved up about it. Yeah, it is really strange. You know, this is this is more money. It's it's not one glass of orange juice. It's a thousand uh, thousand crystal glasses here, and uh, you know it's frustrating. Yeah, we uh, this is certainly not going to be the last one uh, from Global Affairs, Ezra. I can tell you, we actually had. There's a conscientious person inside Global Affairs and an honest person who sent us some tips. Hmm. So there's at least one good person in there that realized that this was ridiculous and sent us this tip on where to look. And uh, this is not going to be the last example. So I certainly hope. Uh, due attention is paid. You know, we gave Bevoda a hard time for her orange juice, but we think this is this is on a whole other level in terms of waste. I mean, I think that uh, in any corporation, the corporate culture is largely set by the leader. And I, I know you guys are nonpartisan, and I'm not going to ask you to, to weigh in on partisan matters, but Stephen Harper was a bit of a penny pincher. He lived in 24 Sussex Drive. He didn't go for the big renos. Um, a fairly modest lifestyle, and I think that trickled down through the government. And Compared to Justin Trudeau, for whom 24 Sussex Drive is not nice enough, he has his chef work there, but that's it. He has two nannies on the government dime. Um, he, he jets around luxuriously. So I think that everyone in... Oh, and I, I remember when Gerald Butts, his principal secretary, moved down the highway from Toronto to Ottawa. He billed almost 200 grand in moving expenses. If the leader's office parties like a rock star... It's not surprising that everyone around him says, oh, that's how we do it under Trudeau. We get while the getting's good. It's no surprise to me that these people are ordering 100,000 bucks worth of glasses because that's how Trudeau rolls, right? Yeah, look, I think uh, the political leadership sets the tone, right? You remember when the Harper government came in? I remember um, uh, uh, Monty Solberg, one of the cabinet ministers, uh, he expensed a lunch for his staff. They went to Subway. They went to Subway and they had a very modest lunch. And we thought that was a, a great example of setting the right tone. Um, and you'll recall when Justin Trudeau uh, won the election and he showed up at then Foreign Affairs Building, uh, there were cheers. And you really got the sense from a lot of folks in there that they thought, OK, now it's time. Now we can turn the taps on. Now it's time yeah. to spend. So we really hope that this sort of thing, uh, you know, th this government needs to do something about it. They've got a $17 billion deficit and it looks like a good place to start looking for savings is somewhere like Global Affairs. Yeah, I want to uh, one more example because uh, you released this as well. Um, I'm sitting on a chair here. I think we bought it new. Most of our office furniture is used. It's a cushiony chair. It's really comfy on the tush. Maybe the chair cost 180 bucks from uh, Office Depot or whatever. I don't know. I know that it, it wasn't expensive, but it's plenty comfy. I sit in it for hours a day. You have an access to information request also from Global Affairs that shows that Ottawa, or, and this is what's so weird about it, they ordered seat cushions for the Canadian embassy down in Mexico. They ordered those cushions from Regina. They spent $24,000 on 86 seat cushions. That works out to 286 bucks per cushion, and that doesn't include shipping. 
a cushion, 286 foot, just for the cushion. And then there's the chair. And when you're in Mexico City, who doesn't think I want to ship those cushions in from Regina? Like, because I guess there's no place in Mexico or the United States that's clear. What on earth are they thinking dropping 24 grand on seat cushions? I don't even get it. You know, you couldn't even come up with a better story that just just underscores the lack of common sense uh, when it comes to ordering this stuff. As you say, I'm pretty sure you can find comfortable cushions in Mexico City. It doesn't make sense to order them from Regina and ship them down. And beyond that, frankly, Ezra, I don't even know where you'd find a cushion for $286. I, I, I don't know where I would begin to look for a cushion that expensive, but apparently somebody at Global Affairs knows a place where you can spend far more than you have to, but why not? It's not your money, it's just taxpayers' money, and they don't seem too fussed about it. And I don't even get it. I mean, you have a chair that has a cushion on it. Did you have chairs that didn't have cushions? How much is the chair? Is this a chair-cushion combo? I just, I've never heard of ordering 86 chair cushions. And I mean, okay, you go to Ikea, you can buy a little cushion or a pillow, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 50 bucks. I don't even, what is in a $286? Is it like stuffed with goose down or like unicorn fur or something? Must be. I mean, I know they're leather cushions, so they're nice cushions, but uh, how you get the price up to 286 bucks is, is really beyond me. I know. You know, um, you've identified just two tiny examples, glasses and cushions. But there must be a thousand different line items like this. And I'm not saying our, our diplomatic staff should not have tools to do their job. And sometimes their job involves, you know, hospitality. And, and sometimes you have to be fancy in the world of foreign affairs, although I don't know why 86 seat cushions come into it. But I just think that the culture is get everything while you can. Money's no object. Throw another bale of $100 bills on the fire. I, tr I truly don't think there's a single countervailing force in this entire government that speaks up for taxpayers, whether it's in the bureaucracy with the spending or in the cabinet table. I don't think there's a single person in this government who's a grown-up who would say, whoa, 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 whoa. Shake your head. What are you doing? You're spending the public's money as if it's your own private money. I don't, is there a single force within government that's a countervailing pressure on this? Well, we know of the one person inside global affairs, but they choose to remain anonymous for obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's that's why we're here. We do the digging. We work hard to expose this sort of thing. And, you know, it's the only way, Ezra, it's the only way to create a countervailing force. You know, it, sometimes it feels like we're playing whack-a-mole. Uh, you, you nail down spending on some area and the government just spends it somewhere else. But you've got to keep at it. The Canadians have to keep at it. It's it's the only way you get change in Ottawa is you shame them and make them pay politically for it. And they're they're forced to do it even if they don't want to. Yeah, well, I hope you're right. I just wonder where the rest of the media party is. I, it's just so strange to me. I mean, there have been some pickup of your news, and I grant it. But this should be a firestorm. It's it's a little puff of smoke. And, it, and you're, you're doing the right thing. I'm just wondering where's where's the CBC leading the national news as they did with Bev Oda. Aaron, congratulations to you and the taxpayers. We're a fan of what you're doing. Keep it up. Thanks a lot, Ezra. All right, there you have it. Aaron Woodrick, he is the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. I wonder what my tush would feel like if I was sitting on a $286 cushion all day. Maybe it would just, you know, maybe I would just, I don't know, have a spring in my step or something. Who knows? Maybe it's a massage cushion. I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to Google that. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel.
Hey, welcome back on my monologue yesterday about Trump's Supreme Court nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. Paul writes, Brett Kavanaugh sounds like a great pick. Trump may have two more Supreme Court judges before he's done. As long as the picks are dedicated to upholding the Constitution, most should be happy with it. Well, no, no, no. Most conservatives and Republicans would be happy with it, but remember the courts want to undermine the Constitution. They want to move to a living tree doctrine where judges can invent new things all the time and find, discover new laws within the Constitution. That's how we do it in Canada. Tammy writes, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is long past her expiration date. Her public comments about Donald J. Trump reveal she is incapable of being impartial and behave in such a way to respect the Supreme Court of the United States. Yeah, it really was unprofessional of her. And you know Donald Trump, you poke him, he pokes you back twice as hard, and he fired right back in the campaign. Um, she'll hold on as long as uh, she can. Uh, we talked to Joel Pollack about this, and he says that literally they are there for life, even if they are medically infirm. On my interview with Erica Kasrayi, John writes, Praying for the end of the insane Islamic revolution in Iran that burdens, persecutes, and punishes the great Persian people since 1979. I wish Sting, Bono, Trudeau, Madonna, all feminists, or anyone in Hollywood of the CBC would speak up for Ma'edeh. I think we will only hear crickets from the left for her. Thanks for the story, Rebel Media. Yeah, I mean, it's such an easy story to get behind. You don't have to be technical. You don't have to know your history or geography or politics. Here's a young teenage gal who's apolitical. She likes to dance in her bedroom. She occasionally, she show her belly button in a belly dance, but nothing more uh, flagrant than that. Um, sings and dances, but that is a crime in Iran. She was arrested, forced to make a uh, jailhouse-style apology, and... Um, I didn't quite get her sentence. We know the other lady was sentenced to 20 years for taking off her hijab. But the story of Ma'ada, the 19-year-old girl, how can anyone not get behind that? You don't have to be an expert in anything to say there's a girl who's just doing some Instagram dancing and she was arrested by cops in Iran. That's wrong. How easy is that to say? You're not right-wing, you're not left-wing. You're not Republican, you're not Democrat. You're not even prescribing any solution. You're just saying... Something wrong is going on over there, and yet I haven't heard a peep from Hollywood. You'd think, I mean, she's an attractive girl singing Western songs. How easy is that for some Hollywood lovey to get behind? Not a peep, not a peep. Well, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.